You're listening to Juicy Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Bacigalupo, and in this episode, I'll be talking with John Williams, not the composer, but John Williams of The Instant Group. The Instant Group plays the middleman between a huge directory of spaces all over the world and clients and people who are looking for access to those spaces. And it's an important role because companies are transitioning away from traditional office leases and towards flexible work, but a lot of them don't know how to handle this giant, diverse constellation of all these different spaces that are out there. Instant plays that role of helping to match them up. As a result of that, they have access to a lot of information about what's going on, what the needs of that growing market, especially around corporate, uh, what those needs are. And so John's just got lots to share on that. So let's get into that conversation with John on this next episode of Juicy Podcast. John, thanks so much for joining me on the program. I'm glad to have you here with me. Uh, no, I'm very glad to dial in. So it's been a busy day for us at the Instant Group. We, as you may or may not know, we are the, the largest aggregator of flex workspace in the world at the moment. We, we list 15,000 uh, sites globally, but we also monitor around another 33,000 now. So we are collating data all the time, looking at supply, demand and pricing at the global market. And obviously, it's been a very exciting week because of all the news that's been going on around flexible workspace but also because we've had Juicy in the UK and a few other launch events uh, for our UK market report. So it's been a big week, but an exciting one. Yeah, so uh, tell me a little bit about your perspective on the news and what's been happening. Is nobody ever gonna rent any workspace again because <laughs> we were struggling? So, I mean, we had a very interesting debate this morning. We had. 250 people to our UK market report launch, of which about 100 of those were flex workspace operators, and another 100 were clients of varying sizes. Uh, we had a panel debate around um, the future of flex workspace, of which I think everyone felt optimistic. I think the WeWork situation, shall we call it, I think everyone is, is kind of just standing back in amazement, but if anything, it is promoting the sector. It's putting more information out there. I think some of the journalists are becoming more schooled around what Flex Workspace actually is because there's still been so much misunderstanding as to what we're all up to and the markets, the, the products that are available in the market. So if anything, hopefully this, this period will start to clarify exactly what it is that we're selling and doing and the nuance between co-working and space as a service and serviced offices and so on. Yeah, I think we, anybody who's studied the industry more than just kind of reading what's in the Wall Street Journal on the cover knows that this is so much bigger than the one company. Uh, but I think a lot of the people that don't know any better might think, oh, well, you know, this whole thing was a fad, right? That this, that this whole co-working thing was, was as much of a overinflated thing as this one company was. And I feel like we may need to do some work to demonstrate, well, no, actually, it's far bigger and more interesting than that. Do you see anything coming up around that or any concerns around that? I, I, would, I would have a, a small degree of concern. But look, we had on our panel this morning, we had Amex and GSK, and they're two obviously massive global companies, both of whom use flex space within their real estate strategy. And they use co-working memberships 
and they, they totally recognized the scale and scope of the market and they had no reservation around that or the impact of WeWork at all. So, I mean, in, in that sense, I think those of us who, those of us in the market who are suitably educated have no concerns. I think maybe you're right about wider market misperception. Um, but look, I mean, two years ago, I think Uber had similar troubles around reputation, but I think it's fair to say everyone still uses Uber and that company is still growing um, for, in, a, in a brand and scale point of view, right? Absolutely. Well, and uh, you know, when you think about it, you've got Amex and, and GSK, GlaxoSmithKline, big companies who are, uh, I want to hear more about what they're up to and what your perspective is on the big companies, but the big companies are, are changing the way that they manage their real estate portfolios and they're spending less and less money on managing their own and more and more on outsourcing that to other companies to do it for them. Is that right? That's completely right. I mean, they're, they're very excited about the potential of flex space. They see it as a core element of their portfolios. They acknowledge that change is coming. We're, we're moving much more towards real estate being seen as part of a service model rather than just asset management. I mean, they, they, they were saying very clearly they're going to keep leases for their key, their key corporate HQs around the world, but they see a huge element of their project teams, of the way they expand to be dependent upon flex solutions now. What, what they're looking for and one of the roles that we fulfill or hopefully fulfill is that what they are hoping for is, is to get more guidance and consultancy and understanding around what constitutes flex and what is the best solution for them, right? I think there's been so much misinformation, just as you say, around WeWork. They're, they're struggling with that a little bit. You know, they want to have clear answers. So their, their, role, their, their role in working with us is to say, guys, what are the options out there? Who should we be going with? What is good value? And what next? You know, and, and no one's really been fulfilling that role in the market as yet. Well, and this, so this is tremendously important, I think, because there's so much growth to be had in this industry as the corporates continue to get more comfortable moving their employees to managed spaces, right? But the companies need to know what they're getting themselves into. And there needs to be, there need to be standards. There need to be uh, probably legal requirements that are met for certain companies, right? And we have a global movement of spaces that are every shape and size and color and persuasion all over the place. So the advantage of a larger chain like a WeWork type company is they have that uniformity. Right, they can go to Amex and say, "Look, we have every space is to this certain specification," uh, and so they can do that enterprise sales conversation. What I'm curious about for you is, are you able to be that middleman for the independent space, such that collectively those spaces could actually swing at a far higher level than a WeWork ever could? Considering WeWork's only four or five hundred spaces, when there's you know fifteen thousand plus spaces all over the world, is that something you're in a position to do? That's exactly it. And that, that's why we're working with GSK and Amex and, and the, their ilk. They are, they're looking for, shall we say, a spirit guide into this market. They want someone to fulfill that role of an independent um, inf informer. You know, we, we give them advice. We use it with data that we can verify and back up our decisions. And we show them the whole market so they understand the choices that are available to them. And they're also starting to get the nuance. So as you say, initially, I think when they looked at procurement, a WeWork kind of one size fits all model made sense to them. And they were like, right, that, that we can buy that, let's buy a chunk of that space. But then they recognize for different project teams around the world, for different 
local geographical markets, it just didn't make sense to buy from one independent um, operator. They needed kind of a multi-operator approach and they needed to, someone to tie that together. And happily, that, that was us. And we were very keen to fill that role. And I think we, we envisaged that only growing, you know, over time. And that was indicative of the, of the crowd today where we had so many corporates coming to our presentation. And interestingly, so many landlords of conventional space. There were some of the biggest landlords of um, UK commercial property were in the audience today because they're really keeping a close eye on this market. And, and I saw the same guys attending Juicy UK on Monday, and you never would have seen them in the crowd even uh, 24 months ago. To see the biggest landlords of Britain trying to figure out how co-working works for them and what the clients want is a real departure. It's a jump-off point, I think, for the industry. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how you work with the spaces and these kind of larger companies to fulfill the needs of the larger company. Like, What kinds of things are the larger companies asking for in terms of um, like what the spaces provide? And then how are you able to determine which spaces offer those things? So, so there, are, there are concerns around the, um, the, for the large corporates. And actually, the, one of the best things I found of late was this Harvard Business Review article from 2009. And within it, this, this very prescient author had reviewed the future of commercial real estate and, and the strategic elements of commercial real estate and said, look, post-global financial crisis, there's going to be certain key attributes that real estate is going to have to bring to the table now. This is going to be a real departure point and you've got to bring it, shake it up. So this article said business real estate is not nearly, merely going to be an operating necessity. It's going to be a strategic resource, the nimble organization of the future, and it has to have maximum flexibility throughout its real estate, even if that means paying more up front. And so what they were calling out without realizing it was flex workspace, was a mixture of co-working and space as a service. They recognized the need for businesses to take a more agile and flexible approach back in 2009. And that, that's really, that truth has come home to roost, as it were. And they also said that leaders of real estate in the future are going to need real estate intelligence. So accurate data, relevant information, but to ensure there's actually got context within their corporate um, reality. So not just reporting on the metrics of a building, but understanding its impact on a workforce, understanding its impact on value generation for the business. So without getting into corporate jargon, in essence, they're just saying we need an agile, flexible future and we need metrics that matter so we can judge is our workspace working for our team. And that's what we're trying to work on. So we, we, we happily saw this HBR article and realized that's our role. We're trying to help our clients to really understand how flex workspace will benefit their business, not just as part of real estate, but as the way to attract the best talent, retain the best talent, improve their ROI on their business performance and to feel that the real estate team is generating value for the business, which is something real estate arguably has never done, despite the fact it's a no-brainer, right? Right. And so if, just take me all the way now to maybe like a practical example. It doesn't need to be a specific company or space, but uh, like there's you have a bunch of spaces that you have within your reach. And you have companies that come to you and say, we've got a bunch of employees we want to be able to place them in locations in these cities, uh, but we have these requirements as far as what we need our employees to be able to experience when they walk in the door of these spaces. So can you tell me a little bit about how you're able to ingest those requirements and then match that up with, with the spaces that are in your network? Yeah, I mean, well, one example actually was is the extreme of that, whereby 
we we tried to place a really big internet retailer. I mean, the biggest internet retailer in the world who likes to work confidentiality, confidentially, but I'm sure you can imagine who it is. And they needed to buy space quickly in the Tel Aviv market to be closer to two major projects. And Tel Aviv is another one of these global cities where the market is incredibly constrained. There's very, very low vacancy rates among office space. So these guys were trying to get into Tel Aviv. They couldn't. They needed a, a nine-month runway to be, make sure that they had their team in place to be able to fulfill the project. And they were coming up against a brick wall and no one within conventional space or even flick space could help them. So we had to go back to our supply chain and we ended up building a modular office on a flex basis in a car park in a place called Haifa outside Tel Aviv. And we did the whole thing from the beginning of the search to actually the retailer occupying the space in three months. And they were blown away because they'd never really approached anyone who said, look, we could turn this around super fast against your timelines. They'd always been told by the conventional market they were going to have to wait a year, 18 months. They needed to sign heads of terms, build a lease out, and then they'd start negotiating and they'd have to procure everything. With us, they came in and we, we used all our teams. We white labeled out the design, workspace strategy. And so these guys are happily ensconced in a very, very cool modular space um, in a car park. And they've now expanded it by 100 people and are looking at that kind of solution as a really fast way of getting boots on the ground. Contrastingly, the, the retailer did the same thing in Turkey, whereby they procured flex space via us in Istanbul. Again, newer market for them and they needed to move fast and we procured the space and produced an end-to-end -end solution for them. And that, that for them, that for a lot of corporates is what flex space is going to look like. It is not giving them the problem of signing a lease. When you sign a lease, that's just the start of your issues. After that, you have to get a workplace strategist on board, a construction company, an FM company. When you get a flex space solution, you're having someone take the problem away from you. They're going to give you an end-to-end agreement that will get everything in place and you just concentrate on your core business and getting that right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, and it's extremely impressive that y'all were able to pull that off. I mean, building out a space and getting it operational at that level uh, is no small task. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it was a big accomplishment and uh, maybe something you can replicate again down the line uh, to, to know that you can spin up a space where there isn't enough space on demand is a powerful thing. Well, that's it. And, and I mean, that's one of the key themes of our research that we've now done in the US and the UK. I think we're, we're seeing a bit of a crunch point between demand and supply, whereby the flex model is working so well, but we're seeing demand in secondary locations or suburban locations, whereby you know, businesses of all sizes are saying that we, we want flex space, we've got used to it, it fits our business model, but we need it in these new locations. And the supply isn't there because either the operators can't find a landlord who do a deal with them, or it doesn't quite fit the business model of the operators, i.e. they can't quite make the numbers stack up. So we're seeing quite a lot of what you might call pent-up latent demand in these secondary cities or suburban locations where we know people want flex workspace, but unless the landlords get more comfortable with some of the numbers or we start looking at management agreements rather than back-to-back -back leasing, I think there will be this you know, a bit of an issue that the market will bottleneck and we need to work through that and for the broader property industry to understand the need to provide more flex options. That's going to be an interesting time to see whether landlords can get their heads around that. Okay, so if somebody is listening to this who maybe is operating a space, thinking of operating a space, I'm curious where you see the opportunity as far as somebody who is getting into this world where there are maybe unfulfilled needs or there are lots of room for growth. 
You know, like if I'm thinking of starting up a space or if I'm running a space, what should I do to position myself in the best way to tap into the opportunities that are being created by what you're seeing happening? So, yeah, the, the, the presentation we, we saw today um, and the presentations from GC UK on Monday, if I was a new operator, I'd be trying to get in front of landlords who, who have the right building in the right place, but haven't introduced flex into their model yet. And I'd be going up to them and saying, look, we are going to take this problem away from you. We're going to get you a premium on your space. We're going to provide a service and it'll be on our terms. We'll make it work for you. You, you, you don't need to have any concerns. You can go back to your business of managing the asset, but we'll provide the space and the service within that space. And it'll be really distinct and it will drive footfall to your business and make the rest of your space more profitable too. Because I think landlords are wondering whether they should self-deliver. They're looking at the model thinking, well, this, this is working for everyone else. Do I want a piece of this? Should I be doing it myself? But for landlords, it's, it's so far away from their comfort zones that they don't do customer services well or even like to do it. They don't want to get close to the clients. They don't do lead generation and they certainly don't do digital lead generation. And their existing relationship with um, agency or you know, conventional real estate brokers, that's not going to help them either. It's going to drive the wrong kind of client to them. So there's a real market for operators to go to landlords and to have those progressive conversations to try and open up new sources of space. Because in all the global cities around the world, we can see the markets are highly constrained. There's not much space out there. And that's going to impinge upon flex workspace supply for probably the next 12 months, even 24 months, we think. So unless we get some innovation around how landlords and operators work together, there's going to be, as I said, a bottleneck. Yeah, until uh, all the WeWorks start closing up. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment about that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So, okay, in terms of that, it's what I'm taking away is that the relationship with the landlord is unsurprisingly absolutely critical because if the landlord thinks that they want to be able to get into this industry, they're, they're not going to be a good partner for you if they think that they want to get into it themselves. And there, are, I feel like there's landlords who can do it uh, and know that they can do it. There's landlords who can't do it, but think they can, who are probably the most dangerous ones. And then the landlords who uh, can't do it and know that they can't. And then those are the ones that you kind of want to get into uh, is, is the ones that aren't going to try to touch this industry, but want to work with someone who does. And that's where there's kind of the opening for, for you as an operator. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I had, some, I had a really interesting chat with some guys who own two sites in Salt Lake City and they were over visiting a GCUC UK. I think they're looking at London and they, they were instrumental in starting a really progressive space in London called Barclays Rise for startups. And they're looking at the uh, the different solutions, and they, I mean, I think guys and them are looking at, looking at taking freeholds and maybe becoming their own landlords, or looking at how they can stretch the model out. But I think they were they were surprised, given the successful track record they have, just quite how many landlords are a bit intransigent or trying to get into those secondary locations is tricky. You know, I think that was a, that was a shock to them. Right, that makes sense. Um, and in terms of just in terms of the overall kind of big picture where things are going with the landlords and with everything else, I know that you all have studied the industry a fair bit. You've published some reports, things like that. Um, have you got anything else in terms of the, the high level conclusions that you all have made after having studied where things are going? Yeah. I mean, look, we, we, the UK, the US market report is due out shortly, so I can't really spoil any of the data from that, but we will be replicating this um, in the US. The best bit of UK data we have, which I love, is we uh, looked at all the conventional 
sub 5,000 square feet space and sub 10,000 square feet space. And we can see that that, is, that market for landlords for conventional leases has been decimated. You know, there, there's never been that much space available of that size since 2009, right? So it's post the GFC. So in essence, that's where we can see flex workspaces eating the lunch of the landlords and eating the lunch of conventional leases. And that's why the landlords are feeling they need to react because, you know, they, they publicize the headline deals, the 20,000 square feet, the 30,000 square feet. But from a cash point of view, 95% of their transactions or a large proportion of their transactions are the small fry, sub 5,000 square feet. If that market's drying up on them, those leases are drying up, they're starting to look and say, right, who's taking it? Where's this going? And we want a piece of it. And that, that to see that in paper, to see the data and see the correlation between rising um, number of sub 5,000 square feet leases available, it directly correlates with the rise of flex space. We can see the numbers and we'll send it through to you so you have some visuals, but it looks really compelling when you see it on paper. Wow. So, you know, because one of the conversations that I have with people who are looking at what's happening are saying, you know, people seem to be like the WeWork types or some of the other office rental oriented companies. They seem to just be opening locations and then filling them up like crazy left and right. And so where are all these tenants coming from that are paying for this flexible workspace? And it sounds like you're seeing this other correlating data that I've been actually trying to find detail on that says, well, it's because it's drying up on the conventional lease side. So these are all people that 10 years ago would be signing their own leases. They still, it's the same company. It's just now instead of signing their own lease, they're paying for membership at a, at a co-working space. Is that, is that- That's it. hundred percent. And it, then you think about it, it's a logical step, but I, I, there's something I spoke about at Denver and we're doing the research now, which I think is fascinating is how, how many end users, how many clients are genuinely aware of the options to them in the, in the real estate market. So when you get a scale up business or a startup business and someone sets out, how many of them know when they make a phone call, I know exactly what co-working is, a co-working membership, co-working membership, or I know exactly what flex space is, or I want to sign a lease. I think that percentage of people who genuinely have informed decision-making around those choices is minimal. And you know, obviously it's down to brokers such as ourselves or others to help them in that decision-making. But you know, will that grow over time? I mean, how much market penetration does co-working have? Do what, 20% of that audience know what co-working is, 30%? Will more know now because of the WeWork um, kind of news stories that are out there? And will that impact us over time? And what does 100% look like? Or is that gonna triple the amount of inquiries coming our way? I don't think anyone knows, um, but we're trying to find out. But that for me points at the future of the market is when people are really aware of their options and that we have to even get even more specialists with the kind of co-working options we provide to the market. Absolutely, and I think you're, you're spot on and everything else I've seen uh, lines up with that as well. So yeah. Yeah. that's all very exciting. And uh, it sounds like you were able to share some of this at Juicy UK. I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience at Juicy UK. Anything jump out at you? Anything you weren't expecting that was exciting or any people that you met that were particularly uh, awesome to encounter? <coughs> Everyone's awesome at Juicy. I, I think the Juicy events genuinely, I think are, uh, th- there's nothing like them. So I do a lot of the real estate shows and they're such friendly, genuinely community-led events whereby you can talk to anyone and I, I love that about them. And everyone's willing, they're willing to learn and have conversations. And that, that's rare, actually, in the real estate community, because you go to more of the conventional space shows, and it's really, yeah, everyone knows each other in a different way. It's a bit of a closed shop. Um, so I love, I love all the GC events. I think 
we get a real kick out of presenting our market data because it's such a hungry audience and they give us such a tough time. We get the, the best, toughest questions from people who really want to know how they're going to push their businesses on and they really know their markets and they know their business. So they ask us, you know, tricky questions, but that's, we enjoy it. It's a challenge. That's why we're trying to improve our data the whole time. I think it's an, also a market that um, is, is searching for the best advice. And so there was debate around the role of brokers and what they do and are they a necessary evil and all the rest of it. And so I think it, we're still all trying to find our collective way um, in that regard. So it, yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing as exciting as working in an industry that's growing as fast as ours is, right? And there are so many characters within it, uh, larger than life characters. It, it brings everyone to the show. I think they're, they're fantastic events um, for everyone who goes to them. Amazing. So if I wanted to direct, uh, let's the, direct the listeners to some of the information you have to share. I know you said you've got some reports. Uh, where can people go to find this information? So if you guys um, hit up the, the blog on www.instantoffices.com, you'll see all our latest market reports there. Um, the UK report came out um, today. Uh, we've also gonna, shortly going to put out our big guide to um, all the different types of co-working and flex space available out there too. And we've also going to be presenting our US market report in the first couple of weeks of October. So there'll be lots of information at www.instantoffices.com. Great. Thank you so much, John, for your time. It's been an, a pleasure. It's been educational. You've helped me fill in some blanks, which are very important. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And I'm sorry I was wrestling with my outlook for half of that call, trying to stop all the pop-ups coming up. Uh, but, but, uh, which you made for an interesting backdrop to the whole thing, right? You've done, a, you've done, a, you've done an excellent job masking all the uh, distractions on you. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks, mate. All right. Thanks. I'll catch you at the next one. So there you have it, John Williams of Instant Group. Make sure to check out all the research, the resources on their site, theinstantgroup.com. And have a look at the upcoming conferences as well. Juicy USA was just announced for Seattle, April 20th to 22nd. I am so excited to see Juicy coming to Seattle. I have been such a huge fan of that city for a long time. Really interesting things, great co-working communities in that city. And so I'm just so psyched to have an excuse to go back. Uh, so grab your super early bird ticket for that. Save yourself the trouble. Put it on your 2019 budget. Get it out of the way. It's going to save you some money. If you know you're going to do it, might as well do it now. And I promise the Seattle one's going to be super great. And Check out all the other juicy things that are happening. We've got juicy happening all over the world. So head over to gcuc.co to learn more about those conferences. And in the meantime, wherever you are in the world, keep doing the great work you're doing to bring people together and keep being awesome. <laughs>